Well, howdy. We're here for another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast, trying out a new opener there. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined here by an editor for Dauber Prospects and host of the Dauber Prospects radio podcast. It's Peter Harling. Pete, you're a seasoned redrafter at this point. Yeah, man. This is our second go around. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. We, uh, we had so much success with the 97 pod. I figure I had to have you on again. And we, we were talking about after that pod, how it was really valuable to have you engaged as a fan and as an adult fan at that point. So you can really look back and, and have some really good takes from that time. Yeah. Well, Hey, live through it. So it's a little bit hard to go back that far in the memory banks. I had some college time in between that might have <laughs> wiped out some 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 uh, some memory cells, but it's all good. Yeah, it's all in a, a beer-induced haze, but I'm I'm sure we'll uh, we'll dig up a few fossilized follicles. Yeah. So, what do you remember from the year 2000? We're doing the 2000. NHL redraft hmm uh let's see 2000 that was uh that was around the lockout um pre-lockout pre-lockout yeah that was 2005 the lockout that's when we lost the whole season um so wow geez I don't know give me give me some hints what what was going on well we survived y2k so that's good but I think maybe some scouting rooms didn't because mm. this draft is absolutely bleak, but we're coming off a devil stars cup final that I don't think anyone remembers at all. And this is the devils win their second of three cups in what's basically a two decade run of Broder Stevens and Niedermeyer. And this is a back-to-back cup final appearance for the stars. They won it in 99 and then they go back to the cup final again in the 2000s. And they've got like a four or five year run there where they're awesome. They're right up there with Colorado, Detroit, New Jersey as the best teams of that late 90s, early aughts. But they don't win two cups. They only win the one. So they're just kind of forgotten to history. That's mm. well, hard to win a bunch. Well, the Only a few can pull it off. But New Jersey had... Uh pretty solid blue line and, and a, an elite goalie and that really helped carry them for quite a bit. Absolutely. And, and sneaky good offensive players. Like they played the trap as well as anyone did. And they just sat back and counterattacked. But when they did get their chances, they had guys who could really pounce on things. Like I think Patrick Eliash is a little bit lost to history as an elite offensive guy. Cause he just never put up the point totals playing in that system. Yeah, Philadelphia was good around then, too. They had the the Legion of Doom around then, I suppose. Yeah, and Philadelphia, we'll get to them at some point here when we talk about Roman Czechmanic, if he pops up in our redraft, because he is prominently involved on those teams. First, we want to run down what actually happened in the NHL draft to uh, to set things up. So at number one, the New York Islanders, they jump up from 
fifth to first as a result of the draft lottery, which brings us to our favorite corner here on these redraft pods is Mike Milbury channeling Joe Bluth. I've made a huge mistake. And <laughs> they select Rick DiPietro, number one overall. The, the first time a goaltender goes number one in an NHL yeah. draft since like the 60s and under this new format. And that uh, prompted him to go all in on DiPietro even harder and trade away Roberto Luongo. Yeah, so I, I think we ran this down the last time you were on the yeah. pod, but we'll do it again. It's Luongo and Ole Jokinen for Ole Kavasha and Mark Parrish. It, it doesn't work out. I, I did some more research after that pod just to, to really figure out what was happening. And I guess before the draft, Brian Murray, he's the Panthers GM at the time, and he is looking for a minor league goaltender. So he calls up asking about like Steve Valakat. And then Milbury keeps like pushing Luongo and he's like, like, I don't think we can afford Luongo. Like we're trying to do something small here. And then eventually the conversation turns to DiPietro and Murray's like, well, if you draft that kid, you're never going to lose a game. And Milbury's like, well, yeah. So that's why Luongo is available. And before you know it, they've got a done deal. Luongo and Jokinen and Brian Murray gets off the phone. And he's like, you guys aren't going to believe this. Like he's trading both. Did, did these that guys. just happen? Yeah. <laughs> just fell yeah. ass backwards into a pile of riches. Hmm. And it, it should be noted that I think a lot of this is ownership driven. This is maybe Milbury's third rebuilding plan but they just got the wang kumar ownership and right after this draft sanjay kumar is talking about how he's in the draft room trying to figure out you know how this stuff works and he's interjecting with his own ideas so it's classic new owner syndrome getting way too involved he's so keen on this he's literally the one who announces the pick usually they let the gms do it but the new owner is so keen on this that he's he announces the number one pick and he's stoked that it's unprecedented that they're taking a goalie first overall and everyone's like yeah we gotta clear the path for this kid to make the leap right away and milbury's he's talking after the draft and he's he says like ownership they didn't sign on to wait five years to make the playoffs they want to do it now. And so within a couple of years, they are a playoff team for like five or six straight years, like after the Ashen trade. So eventually they get there, but they could have gotten there just by doing absolutely nothing. Take the best skater available at number one, just sit on Luongo and you would have gotten probably even further. Yeah. Safe to say. However, in hindsight and a little bit of, of his defense, um, it's not like they went off the board to pick Di Pietro. Um, I don't. I don't think it was. If memory serves, anyway, this was a long time ago. Um, but I, he was. He was considered a first overall candidate. It's not like they went way off the board. Like he was going early in this draft. If maybe not first, but like he was going in the top couple picks. 
Yeah, he was certainly lauded after a great year. I think it's at Boston College. And I think he also tears up the World Juniors as well. That's right. And so he's way up there on draft boards. He's highly ranked. He's also super lauded for his puck handling ability. And as we mentioned, the Devils just won their second cup. So this is like the height of Martin Brodeur, basically third defenseman running behind the net. Trapezoid. Exactly. Yeah, pre-trapezoid. So he's one of the selling points. They're like, yeah, this guy's awesome at puck handling. And that was not a strength for Luongo, especially a young Luongo. So they're like, yeah, this guy's going to be our third defenseman back there. We're going to set up a dynasty like the Devils have put together. Nah. It didn't work out. Um, but, I mean, I can understand why he would have picked him first overall. And, and that, you know, allows him to manage their assets and parlay Luongo into something else. And although he pooped the bed on the deal, I still appreciate the mentality of, of this is how we're going to build our team. We're going to go with this goal. He's even better than what we got. And the one we got is great. We'll be able to flip him for some, some depth and some really good parts that'll help us win. Now this guy can help us win sooner than the goal that we already have. And, you know, there's, there's two things that I think history conspires against deep Pietro on is he was always so injured. Um, so he never really was able to play as career to his potential at any point. And then the other one was he signed that ridiculous contract. And, you know, anyone who's in the, who follows hockey knows that salary dictates expectation of a player's performance and whether or not they're living up to it or not. Um, That's even more compounded. If you're in a hard salary cap fantasy league, you can really get to hate certain players that are golfing up your cap and not producing. Um, And then this was like when he was drafted, it was before the salary cap era. And and then the salary cap era came out and you've got this goal. He was making too much money and and not playing because he's always injured. And so I think those things conspired against his legacy, um, which is too bad because, you know, he was a good goalie. It's not like he was a bust. He just got injured and he's overpaid. Too much. Yeah. Really more than I mean, we got to talk about the timeline a little bit because, like we said, they clear the decks for him. They also trade Kevin Weeks for the fifth overall pick in this draft, which we'll get to. But he plays right away for them as a teenage rookie, and he really does struggle. Like this is this is a dumb strategy. They probably should have kept him in college. They weren't gonna because you take a guy first overall and you have to rush him, but it's what they did. And he eventually spends more time in the minors over the following couple of years. And it's not really till after the lockout that he truly breaks through as their starter. He has one good season, 06, 07. He gives them 62 games, 32 wins, a 919 save percentage, which is 11th in the league. And he's got 25 goals saved above average which is fourth in the league and they're a playoff team and that's good enough to get him that 15-year contract which we talked about and after he eventually gets bought out like he's still on the books till 2028 as a result yeah i'm just looking at their 2000 2001 roster now they had van beesbrook 
uh, in the roster as their and, as their guy in and, they, and Flaherty. Yeah, it should be mentioned that they pick up Van Beesbrook for like spare parts after this draft, after clearing the decks for him. And once they realize Di Pietro's not ready to go, he gets the reins to play for what is a sinking ship. Yeah, and it's a wholesale change from what they had the season before, which was Pot Van, good old Felix the Cat, uh, Steve Balaket, and Kevin Weeks. So, you know, they wholesale change their, their goaltending from one season to the next um, with a long-term plan of Di Pietro. Indeed. And we talk about Di Pietro not having much longevity. He's always hurt, but we also talk about his puck handling ability and he's tied for 25th all time in points from a goalie. But uh, both Luongo and Lundqvist, who's also in this draft at some point, are ahead of him just because they stick around for way longer. But not bad. He, he definitely lived up to the hype on that front. But would you say Di Pietro's best highlight is when he one-punch knockouts Brent Johnson against the Penguins? <laughs> I don't remember that, actually. But how could you argue with the one-punch knockout? Yeah, he's, uh, he's getting run by Matt Cook a bunch. And then at some point, he like sticks out the leg on Matt Cook as he's doing a flyby. And mm-hmm. then Brent Johnson comes flying down the ice and whack sounds awesome uh almost as good as uh some tim thomas exploits i liked his uh his body check on i think it was a sitting in the in the stanley cup playoffs he was flying by his crease and uh tim thomas just lunges out at him and bowls him over yeah tim thomas was a renegade in the crease yeah yeah i liked him he was great Okay, so getting things back on track here, running down what happens in the draft. Number two, Atlanta. They are coming off their first year in the league, and they aren't very good. They finish dead last. Get surpassed by the Islanders in the lottery, so they pick number two, and they take Danny Heatley. Yeah, that worked out okay for them. I would say so, yeah. 791 career points. He had a couple 50-goal seasons with them, I believe. And not with them, with Ottawa, but two 50-goal, 100-point seasons. Yeah. Safe to say he's going to pop up in a redraft. Yeah. Yeah, probably right around where he he was actually drafted. I I would think so. At number three... We've got a situation with two new expansion teams coming into the league. You've got the Minnesota Wild and the Columbus Blue, Blue Jackets both coming into the league at the same time. So they're not, they were not eligible for the number one overall pick. They were out of the lottery, but they could pick as high as number three. And crazy situation here where they're not sure how are we going to decide who gets number three and who gets stuck with number four in the draft order so they decide they're going to flip a coin which they televised i don't remember this i didn't watch it i can't find tapes of it but it happened do you remember this at all pete oh but that's awesome okay so the coin that they choose has a wild logo on one side and the blue jackets logo 
on the other. I need to know what happened to this coin because that's a huge piece of hockey history and I can't dig up where it ended up. I hope it's in the Hall of Fame. I got my next trip to the Hall of Fame. I'm looking for that coin. <laughs> well, someone's got it and it's their precious. <laughs> Absolutely. So Bill Daly flips the coin and it lands with the wild logo up. But the coin fell off the table. So while the wild are getting all excited that they won, Daly's like, no, it fell off the table. We have to reflip, which is just insane. Like, does he does he understand any etiquette about coin flips or anything like that? Like it's it's like the scene out of Friday Night Lights where they can't figure out what's heads and what's tails because they flip this 1800s coin. Oh no. <laughs> oh dear so so they do it again they do it again and doug risebrow is recounting this after the fact and he's thinking well we just won it once what are the odds it's gonna flip for us again and like 50 (laughs) yeah like dumbass do you not understand how how this math works and yeah but they did they got it they got it came up minnesota again and they got uh they got away with it because they picked the right guy and it it drops off a cliff after that so you got to feel bad for columbus yeah what a huge what if columbus is a joke until basically this tortorella era like they make the playoffs once in the first 15 years of their franchise they're at the point where even to this day it was seen as an awesome decision to go all in on all these rentals and using their own rentals last season because they'd been so miserable as a franchise that they hadn't even won a playoff round so the fact that they upset the number one team and won a playoff round was seen as this massive success. We didn't get anything for any of our rentals and you can't argue with it. And it's all set up because they lose this damn coin flip. It really does put them behind the eight ball for the first decade of their existence. And really even longer than that. I mean, when when I looked at this draft, I was like, oh man, Columbus, you guys really pooped the bed there. And then I looked down the list and I'm like, well, did you really? <laughs> like, did you really have a, a, a seriously way better option? Like you missed out on Heatley and, and, and Gabrick. And then like the next 10 guys picked after that are meh yeah, or it's, worse. It's all landmines. So as yeah. you alluded to, the Minnesota Wild, they take Marion Gabrick at number three. And then Columbus, after losing the coin flip, they nice. fall to number four and they take Rostislav Klesla, who he plays in the league for a hell of a long time and is a middle to bottom six defenseman. Doug McLean, who's, who's the Blue Jackets GM, declares him the best defenseman in the draft, which the narrator would step in and declare he wasn't. No. <laughs> 
In hindsight, definitely not. No. So then at number five, as we alluded to, the Islanders, they trade Kevin Weeks, who's coming off a decent season for them. He's 25, uh, as it turns out, not that good. And they sell him to Tampa Bay and get the fifth overall pick. And they take Rafi Torres. Everybody's favorite. I think no one's favorite. Even his parents. <laughs> He's the scummiest scumbag that ever played hockey, isn't he? What a dirty player he was. Yeah, but he actually has a couple of 20-goal seasons, including 27 in one season. So, like, there was talent there. And he just sure. turns it into being just the dirtiest. Yeah. But he was very effective for about six, seven years. And then I don't know if he just loses a step. And now the hits that he's making are even later than the already borderline that they were at his peak. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it was with him. Maybe he thought that was his his bread and butter, right? That's his paycheck for the NHL is I've got to, I got to throw out these really dangerous hits because I hope I don't hurt anyone, but if I do too bad, but it really keeps the other team in check. It maybe makes them look over their shoulder a little bit harder instead of looking for a pass or I don't know. Or is he just a relic from a bygone era? Maybe he's just a dick. But actually, this draft is is pretty good for uh, for bangers and mash kind of players. There, there's a bunch of of them in this in this draft, and you know it'd be pretty easy to make the argument that he was the greasiest of all of them. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of grease there. We uh, we may be really cleaning out the uh, the grease trap with Torres. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, speaking of bangers and mash, at number six, the Nashville Predators take Scott Hartnell. He had a great career. Yeah, and, like, great great flow. You look at the landmines surrounding him, and good on you, Nashville. You you dodged him. Uh, At number seven, the Boston Bruins take Lars Janssen. I've got nothing. Well, he played eight games, so no one's got anything on him. Yeah, fair enough. At number eight, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they traded their own pick for Kevin Weeks, but they've got another pick from the mad wheeling and dealing that takes place in the 99 draft that lands the Sedins in Vancouver. So Rick Dudley, he takes over as Lightning GM in 99, and he's got the number one overall pick. He trades back to number four with Vancouver. And then he flips that pick to the Rangers for Dan Cloutier, Nicholas Sundstrom, and this pick in 2000. So they've got a couple of picks in this draft, which is probably why they were willing to trade one of them away for a 25-year-old goalie. And at number four in 99, the Rangers took Pavel Brendel and the Lightning take... Nikita Alexiev here. So basically it's a sequence that only helps Vancouver. Yeah. Nikita Alexiev. I think I've heard of him. <laughs> he played three seasons. 
156 games. You wouldn't say he panned out. No, and there's there's a whole whack of Russian dudes in this draft who I've never heard of. They barely played in the league, just washed out. I don't know if they just weren't able to come over, weren't willing to come over, didn't have any talent, if stuff was lost in translation, or or what the case was. I wonder if this draft had a lot to do with fueling the Russian factor um, bias when it comes to draft. Yeah, you may be right because it's not long before this that teams aren't taking Russians simply because there was no getting them out of Russia. And things are still prickly, but players are starting to easily defect. And so now teams are maybe just taking chances. Uh, maybe, yeah, but and even though they're they're legally allowed to come over, it, it's a big culture jump. And um, in the NHL, money was 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 good in the 2000 season, but it wasn't quite where it is today. Um, yeah, I don't know why these players didn't come. I you know didn't hear about them. Maybe they just weren't very good enough. Yeah, you may be right. The the scouting may just not have been all that good. Yeah. At number nine, this draft is taking place in Calgary, and the Calgary Flames have the number nine pick. They look to solve their goaltending problems, taking Brent Cron, and he plays one game. <laughs> Laying an egg in your own barn. Absolutely. So Chicago Blackhawks have back-to-back picks here at number 10 and number 11. Number 10's their own pick. They were terrible for like a couple of decades until they got awesome. And this draft did not help them get awesome. The number 11 pick is also part of that Sedin's sequence from 99. That fourth, fourth overall pick that ended up in New York taking Pavel Brendel. Well, that was originally the Blackhawks's and they traded it to Vancouver for Brian McCabe and their 2001st. And McCabe's a hit for them, but that first is not. With back-to-back picks, they take Mikhail Yakubov and Pavel Vorobiev. Well, between the two of them, they played just over a hundred games in, the, in their career in the NHL. So a couple of swings and misses there for sure. At least they came over to North America. They gave it yes. a try. It seems like they gave it a shot. I couldn't tell you when they did, but it happened. It was mm-hmm. after 2000. Yeah. Uh, at number 12, the Anaheim Ducks take Alexei Smirnov. That's the mighty Ducks of Anaheim still. Right? They are still mighty. (laughs) At number 13, the Montreal Canadiens, they've got 13 and 16 in this draft, but their first pick is a pretty good one, especially for this draft class. They take Ron Hainsey, who people will know of the Ottawa Senators still playing. Yeah, he's carved himself out a really, really lengthy career. Um, he's played over a thousand games, got the silver stick. 
Hard to argue with that. Absolutely. At number 14, the Colorado Avalanche take Vaclav Nederost. Easy to complain about that. Yep. <laughs> and then number 15, number 15 is always a bad pick. I don't know why. It just keeps happening. The Buffalo Sabres take Artem Kriukov. Never heard of him. I'm just making stink faces here. <laughs> Uh, some notable later first rounders from this draft, Brooks Orpik, Alexander Frolov, Anton Volchenkov. So there were some good Russians, just they went later. Brad Boys, Steve Ott, Justin Williams, Nick Cronwall. These are, these are names that people know. And then some later picks, Henrik Lundqvist, Ilya Brzgalov, Lubomir Vishnovsky. Those guys are getting redrafted very high. Yeah, they're moving up. Uh, so we've set the table, Pete. I think we better do our redraft. And since it's the 2000 draft and they had a coin flip, I thought to determine the first overall pick, we'd flip a coin. So I have a toonie. Yes. And I want you to call it for me. All right. Heads. It is tails. All right. It did not fall off the table. <laughs> I'm going to pick number one. And with this pick, the New York Islanders, they do get their goalie of the future. They take Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, you're sticking with the goalie first overall, eh? When was, Hank, when was he picked? It would have been like seventh round, I think, right? Yeah, so he goes in the seventh round, and I had Russ Cohen on the pod a couple of weeks back, and he was talking about them making this pick, and apparently it's after the Rangers don't have a first rounder in this draft, but it's like by round three, the the legendary scout uh, Christer Rockstrom, the guy who helped the Red Wings unearth Nick Lidstrom, he's got Lungfist as his number one goalie out of Europe. And he's, I guess he's banging the table every pick. Like, we got to take this guy. We got to take this guy. And they finally get around to it come the, the seventh round. And they did a feature on this in The Athletic a couple of weeks back. And it wasn't nearly as dramatic in, in that retelling. But either way, like, well done, Rockstrom. He wasn't even the first goalie that the Rangers picked in this draft. I think they picked a goalie in like the, the fifth or sixth round. And then, yeah, to your point, this guy's banging on the table saying, okay, it has to happen. I know you picked a goalie already, but it's, we've got to get this guy. And so they're like, okay, fine, we'll take him. And uh, it is a really good thing that they listened. Um, so you're sticking with the goalie first overall, eh? Yeah. Imagine and... if, if Lundqvist played on the Islanders instead of the Rangers. You think he'd still have the same legacy that he has? If he, even if he played his whole career on the island, like he did with the Rangers. Um, do you think having played for the Islanders would have allowed him the opportunity to still be the king? I would think so. He has a ton of success internationally, which is never the first thing that I want to point to. but none of those teams that he carries deep in the playoffs for the Rangers 
are what you would think of as championship caliber. Like they're very feisty, but that that's all him. Like he goes on a run of, I think he wins something crazy, like 15 elimination games in a row. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. Like he goes on a run. He basically between him, Halak, Malkin and Sid, they basically ruined the first 12 or so years of Ovechkin's career. Like they just can't get past these guys and it and they're like the best team in the league for half of those years. Yeah. Yeah, Pittsburgh specifically there. Um yeah, okay. I I I've had him first on on my list too and uh I thought the same. I think it doesn't matter if he's playing on the Islanders or the Rangers or, or anywhere else. I liked him to be good enough to be a, a franchise Hall of Fame goalie uh, wherever he played. Uh, and to your point, those teams that he helped carry into the playoffs, you know, he wasn't just uh, riding behind a, a good team. He was pushing the envelope for them, winning rounds for them, giving them wins when they didn't really necessarily deserve to win some of those games. Yeah, absolutely. Is he the only Hall of Famer, you think, in this draft class? Yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. And also, is he the best goalie of his generation? Uh, so his generation, this he's after Hasek and Verdur and Patrick Waugh? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. He doesn't even come over till after the lockout when pretty much all those guys are gone. Yeah, yeah, I think you could make that argument. Um, and Belfour's in there. Yeah, I put Belfour in the previous generation as well. Yeah, I, I think I think Lundqvist is hands down. You got guys like Quick and Flurry and Luongo in the mix, and I'm sure we're probably forgetting some people. But to me, he's he's the goalie I think of as as the best of the generation. Yep. I don't even need to run down his stats. He's that outrageous. It'd be nice to see him pick up the Stanley Cup, though. It would. I don't think it's going to happen. But he did make that one cup final. He did. Good for him. Who knows? Maybe he gets uh, – he's got one year left. Maybe he gets bought out and he can be a tandem goalie on a, on a contender next season. Maybe. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Old guy without a cup. So at number two, you're up for the Atlanta Thrashers. Curious to see which direction you go here, Pete. All right. So I uh, I made my list, but I made it in pencil. And I erased the guy that I originally put down in second. And I went back and decided that he's going second overall again. Danny Heatley was my guy. Um, I was leaning towards Marion Gabrick because he had a longer career. Um, but their point totals, despite being, you know, six seasons fewer for Healy than, than Gabrick, their point totals are actually quite close. So Healy's point per game total is, is a lot higher. And Healy was really dominant. It was maybe for a shorter span. Um, and he kind of flamed out and Gabrick had the longevity, which, um, so what do you like? Do you like the longevity or do you like the higher peak? 
Um, I'll take the guy that scored 50 goals. Um, I'd rather have someone that, that lives fast and die hard in the NHL as opposed to someone who's, who's, who's good for a long time. So I initially was leaning Healy because of that high peak. And then I thought, what if Gabrick had been put into similar type scenarios as Heatley? Because Gabrick is awesome on the wild, but those are Jacques Lemaire teams that are very much playing that devil style. And so he's, he's kind of got the, the leash on him, but he makes the NHL right away and he's okay as a rookie. And then immediately he's a 30 goal, 60 point guy. And he helps to drag them to the Western conference final by his third season. They lose to the ducks in Oh three in the Western conference final. And he's got three 40 goal seasons and he hits 80 points a couple of times, got a few more 30 goal seasons Ultimately, he, he plays way longer than Heatley, which is surprising because of all the injuries that he had. But put Gabrick onto some higher scoring teams. Put Gabrick on that 05-06 Ottawa Senators team. Could he also throw up 50 goals and 100 points? Yeah, the pizza line with Alfredson, Spezza, and Heatley, they were scoring – like four points a game. Um, yes, I think Gabrick could have kept up with that sort of scoring pace when you're playing with, you know, three players who are all elite players in their prime and at the top of the top of the game at the same time. Um, he probably would have had a lot higher numbers than his career ended up putting out. But, um, and I think Heatley's career was cut a little bit short because uh, of injury as well. Um, I think his injuries slowed him down. But how much of that is just training and fitness? Because he was legendarily a guy who was god-awful in those summer shinny games, trying to get his game back together. And then by the time the season came around, he was awesome. But maybe he just wasn't a guy who who was putting in the work. Like he is basically cooked by 30. He has one awesome season in San Jose and then he starts just tumbling down. Right. So this is the 2000 draft and he came in and had some pretty good seasons. Uh, And then there's the lockout and he lost a season there. And then he comes back from that playing on the center's top line. And as the NHL, rules change and the game evolves and gets faster and faster and faster. Um, I think that was bad for Healy because he wasn't quite the burner. Um, his game was all about his, his shot. Um, so as, as the game got faster at the same time, he was getting slower, a little bit older and a couple injuries. He had some groin injuries. I think it was, um, those can kind of slow you down a little bit. So, uh, maybe not as bad as Di Pietro's injury-shortened career season, but I think it certainly had a part of it. And, um, and it's hard to tell what the, the car accident had to, to do with it too, right? Like, For sure. He, he loses almost an entire season pre-lockout 
to yeah. that situation as well and what what happens to his mental and emotional situation in yeah. the aftermath of that yeah like it seemed like he almost had to get traded out of atlanta to kind of escape that situation yeah those memories yeah and the teammates you know you um it's be harder to to move past it if that's even what you want to do i don't even know but yeah a change of senior i think was was absolutely required for him for sure and you mentioned the the game kind of getting away from heatley in terms of skating and speed and that sort of thing his best seasons occur post lockout when it's just you get a power play and you get a power play and you get a yeah, power right. play and he he throws a, i think he's got a season where he's got like 45 power play points 20 power play goals so i mean he was he was dangerous in all situations yeah at his peak but certainly he takes full advantage and it, it lands him heart votes he's on a first team all-star team and a second team all-star team but Gabrick, he also gets a similar number of heart votes and he lands himself on a second team all-star team while never having an elite centerman really until he lands with the Kings in the twilight of his career. And we should mention that when he finally lands on the Kings, he leads that team in goal scoring on their 2014 cup run. Yeah, I remember when Los Angeles acquired him and I was like, oh man, what are you guys doing? You need to get younger, not older. But hey, what do I know? Because that really kind of worked out for them, didn't it? Yeah, as it turns out, they stole another one from the Columbus Blue Jackets who, as we mentioned previously, could not make things work. They traded for Jeff Carter, giving up the Couturier pick and Jacob Voracek for him and then he didn't want to play there so they had to ship him off to the Kings for Jack Johnson in a sequence of trades that just ages quite poorly and then they yeah. do something similar trading Rick Nash for Marion Gabrick and then Gabrick ends up going to the Kings Hey maybe that's why Columbus said we're not trading away our, our rentals we're that hasn't worked out for us. <laughs> we keep losing trades. We're not trading anyone. We're just going for it. Yeah, we are absolutely done with that shit. All right. So speaking of Columbus, I'm going to hijack your podcast here. You've got them and at the number f- – no, you're Minnesota. Yeah, yeah so, so I guess you're going you're gonna to go to the – you're going to take Gabrick, I guess, eh? Yeah, I had Gabrick at number two. So if he makes it to me at number three – no-brainer, I'm taking him for them again. He yeah. is the best player in that franchise's history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Better than Miko Koivu. Um, so I think the, the, the difference between Heatley and Gabrick is, is kind of what I said there. I think it's the, uh, it's the higher peak but the shorter career. Um, so Gabrick didn't peak quite as high, but he certainly played um, six seasons longer, and he broke 1,000 games. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the leading goal scorer and point getter from this draft class. And again, he's playing with not much and still racking up big point totals. I think he has a better career than Heatley's 
and that's even recognizing that his peak wasn't quite as high. I think he, I think it was, and I think his peak was longer. He just doesn't quite put up the counting numbers because he's playing 65, 71 games and he's putting up a little bit better than a point per game in those seasons. Whereas Heatley's best seasons, he's healthy. He, he ends up with a hundred points. Those benchmark totals don't necessarily push him over the top for me. But uh, yeah, I think that wraps up the Gabarik Heatley debate. And moving on to number four, you're up with the Columbus Blue Jackets. All right. So they're going to go off the board here and not take Rostislav Klesla, even though he's allegedly the best defenseman in the draft. Um, they're going to take a player that uh, still goes in the first round. Justin Game 7 Williams is my pick here. Interesting. So I had Columbus taking the actual best defenseman in the draft in Lubomir Vishnovsky. I think Williams, he has a very long and very good career, and he even has a couple of seasons where he's bona fide, absolute, guaranteed, first-line type play. But I think mostly he's just a very good player who ends up in a lot of awesome situations that builds up his esteem to maybe higher levels than it is. I mean, he's Mr. Game 7, right? Yep. I guess that doesn't really matter if you're Columbus and you don't get into a playoff game ever. Imagine if he was picked by Columbus here and never played a playoff game basically in his career and never had a chance to be Mr. Game 7. That would have uh, really changed the perspective on his legacy, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think there's any way that he sticks around in Columbus long enough to <laughs> not garner that reputation. But so, some guys just end up – they end up star-crossed. I think there's a few guys in this draft class who just can't really land themselves on very good teams. Like Brad Boys scores – he has as many 30 goal seasons as Justin Williams does, but he never lands on a winner ever. Not, not saying he's as good as Williams was because I think Williams is the type of guy he can help you drive play, but just looking at pure scoring at, at their peak seasons and boys just never lands on a winner. So yeah, I have Justin Williams going below Vishnovsky, but that's me. Yep, fair enough. I think he's got uh, he's got some other parts of his game that he brings too. I think you know you, you mentioned cons- concerns about conditioning with with Heatley um, or maybe some leadership. Um, you know, the, you don't play a thousand games in the NHL unless you can provide more than just good or a little bit better than average offensive totals, right? Um, you know, 1,264 games is is pretty incredible. And he's still going. Right. Is he the only active player in this draft? Well, we no. talked about Ron Hainsey and Lundqvist. Yeah. The list is pretty short, I'm sure. I would think so, yeah. All right. So, yeah, so I go with I go with Williams – at four and that puts you up at five yeah and at five i'm happy to take the guy who ends up 
finishing out his career on Long Island in Lubomir Vishnovsky, the real best defenseman in the draft. Right. I've owned him in some fantasy leagues back in the day. He was he's good for some points. Yeah, he has a few seasons that are outrageous fantasy-wise. He's got three seasons of at least 17 goals and three seasons well above 50 points, two of which I think he's got like a 67 and a 68-point season. His best year is 2011 in Anaheim, the year that Corey Perry wins the heart. But Fishnovsky lands himself fourth in the Norris that season and a second team all-star. And he also garners some heart votes. He's like, he's very much a, a modern day type offensive defenseman in that he's, he's smaller and he's not all that physical, but he's quite slick. Hmm. Yeah. He had one particularly really strong season. I didn't realize he had some some heart nominations though. Yeah, he was awesome once that that trade from Edmonton to Anaheim ends up being such a steal because I think it's Ryan Whitney goes the other way to Edmonton and by that point his foot is cooked so he can only turn one direction with the Oilers and he's still okay for the Oilers but then Vishnovsky goes out does what he does in a couple of seasons for the Ducks who are hanging on to the last remnants of that cup finalist team and just trying to claw their way into playoff contention. And he really helps them do that. He shoulders a huge burden for that team. Interesting. I got another defenseman who I have ranked just above him, actually. Interesting. Is that who you're going to take at number six? It sure is. Okay, let's uh, hear it. Number uh, six, go the Nashville Predators. The Nashville Predators. They have always had a rich defense. And uh, they like themselves another defenseman here. Instead of picking Scott Hartnell, um, they're going to go with a Swedish defenseman, Nick Cronwall. He had a very good career as well. Um, very similar uh, totals to the Vishnovsky. Uh, he played 14 seasons where Cronwall played 15. Um, Vishnovsky had 495 points and Cronwall had 432. So Vishnovsky clearly outproduced him offensively, but Cronwall brought quite a bit defensively as well. And he was a very physical player. Um, you know, you got Cronwall as a, is a saying when you see a big hip check, not you got Vishnovskied. So uh, you're very right there. I think that we haven't talked a whole lot about team needs, but the Islanders are trying to get their rebuild going right away. Right. So they'd like someone to come over and play right away. And Vishnovsky is 24 when he gets drafted and he immediately comes over and makes an impact for the Kings in, in real life. And I would think that he would do something very much the same for that Islanders team coming over. And I also wonder with Cronwall, he was an awesome number three shutdown type defenseman 
but rarely had to shoulder the load as a number one. So right. he ends up doing okay once Lidstrom retires and he's shoehorned into that number one role, but he doesn't play up to what I think Vishnovsky did when he was similarly shoehorned. Hmm. I thought that Cronwall did, did a really good job of carrying the mantle after one of the greatest defensemen in the history of the game um, steps aside. Those are pretty big shoes to fill. And I thought he did a pretty admirable job. It was in the twilight of his career too. Um, yeah, I, I think he was great defenseman. And I think I'd rather have him than, than Vishnovsky on my roster. Um, I don't know about if it's a fantasy draft or not. I guess it would depend on the scoring format, but you can make an argument either way that way too. Uh, both great choices. Again, very similar to the, to the Gabrick and Heatley debate. Which one do you like more? The, the short career with a higher peak or the longer career? Or do you like the more offensive defenseman or the, the maybe give up a little bit of the offense for a little bit more, um, a little bit more grit? Um, so I think it's just a, just a matter of preference, really, between the two of them. I think they're, they're both so similarly val- valuable. Are you saying this is a Coke versus Pepsi battle? It's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Cronvall isn't falling very far below Vishnovsky for me in this redraft. So it's very hard to quibble with that selection. I think that brings me up at number seven for the Boston Bruins. And as we mentioned, they don't get much at all out of this pick. And we've talked before about not wanting to pick for team need, but I can't help but want to reach to get these guys a goaltender who can help them right now because they've got Byron Defoe in net for the next few seasons. And in the upcoming season, they finished two points out of a playoff spot. And we're talking about a team that just took Joe Thornton number one overall in 97 and they've been wasting the first years of his career like essentially his Boston tenure doesn't even happen in people's memories because once they finally are a playoff team they're getting bounced in the first round and getting out dueled in net so let's get them a good goaltender and I'm taking a guy who comes over at 29 Roman Chekmanic. Wow when was he actually selected? He goes in the sixth round for Philly. And like I said, he comes over and he makes an instant impact for them. Here's his three-year run in Philadelphia. He finishes second in the Vesna in his first season, fourth in the heart. He's a second team all-star. He's only behind Dominic Hasek that season. 201 goals against average, 921 save percentage. The next season, he plays, I think he only plays like 49 games. He has to split the crease a little bit more, but 205 goals against average, again, 921 save percentage. And then in his third and final season with the Flyers, 183 goals against average, 925 save percentage, helps them to win the Jennings. And again, he's in the Vesna conversation. Right. So he had a pretty good little run there. Um, 
wasn't able to to do that anywhere else other than Philadelphia. And he, had well, a he only plays career. one more season. Right. So one season with LA. So Chick Monic, can I elaborate a little bit more on his story? Yes, please. So Jeremy Roenick from those Legion of Doom teams, he obliterates Chick Monic in his book. So here's what he has to say. He would look good in the regular season, and then the playoffs would start, and suddenly he was giving up bad goals. In 2000-2001, he had a 201 goals against average and a 920 save percentage in the regular season. Then his playoff numbers were 311 and 896. The way he performed in the playoffs made me believe he had come to the NHL just for the money and not to play with the world's best players and win the Stanley Cup. To me, he seemed like a phony, a true fraud. I had no use for him. And I think he goes on in a later interview. In my career, I only ran into a few teammates whom I considered lost causes. I couldn't stand playing with Roman Czechmanic in Philadelphia because I felt like he had one foot back in the Czech Republic the minute the regular season was over. He didn't seem to be as serious about the NHL playoffs as the rest of us were. It made me wonder whether he would have preferred playing for his country in the world championships rather than the Stanley Cup playoffs. Players only get paid in the regular season, not the playoffs. It didn't seem like a coincidence to me that when the paychecks stopped coming, Chickmonic's performance level went down a hill. I remember telling teammates after the 2001-2002 season that if he was in Philadelphia's net the following fall, I wasn't fucking coming back. GJR, what do you really feel? Right? And full respect to what he's thrown out there. But number one, JR wasn't even with the team in that first season with Czechmonic when they he gets outdueled by Hasek. And he's not good, as the numbers show. Yeah. But JR wasn't even there. The next year, they lose in the first round to an awesome Ottawa team. And Philly only scores two goals in five games and somehow find a way to win one of those games because Czechmonic has, I guess, one shutout. And he has a meltdown in game four of that series. And he's yelling at the bench and asking to get pulled. Wow. So then they yank him. And in practice the next day, the team is ripping pucks at his head. So, well, this is your argument for why you're, you're picking him six overall, right? <laughs> this is my argument for how ridiculous this, his career was. <laughs> okay. I don't think he was as bad in the playoffs as JR is making out. Certainly, they had issues with him because apparently by the end of his third season, the whole team goes to Bobby Clark and is like, he has to go. And so they ship him to LA for a second rounder and he plays one season and it's not very good. And then he's out of the league, but he's awesome for three years in the regular season. And I think behind a better team, maybe he puts up better numbers and maybe different personalities. He fits in better. I don't know. He was a super entertaining goalie. He's behind probably Hasek and Cujo in terms of just raw athleticism in the net. And he puts up fantastic numbers. Even in 2003, they even win a playoff round 
where he outduels Eddie Belfour in a seven-game series. Okay. I'm not even sure he's the second-best goalie in the draft. Because Ilyas Brigalov is in this draft as well. Okay, so Brigalov only ends up having three good years as well. So I'm drafting to get my three years right away instead okay. of waiting until after the lockout. This is interesting because now it's the same argument as Gabrick and Heatley, although we've taken opposite stances. You like the guy that's got the, the better peak but the shorter run, and I'm suggesting that Brisgalov was, was better because he had a longer, but healthier NHL career. But he was only good for three career. years. How many years was Church Manning good for? Three years. Okay. So they both you get getting three years out of both of them. Yeah, but you get 12 seasons out of Brisgalov. And in the other nine, he wasn't, he wasn't garbage. No, but he, he wasn't, wasn't that he good. Wasn't, I, I, wasn't I, Edmonton, I, my main argument for Czechmanic is I want to get them right away so that I don't waste Joe Thornton and end up having to trade him to San Jose for scraps. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair. Because I'm right. waiting until after the lockout if I want Brisgalov. And... If I'm Boston, that's a big market. And we saw Brizgalov land in Philly, and he couldn't play as well as Chekmanic did in Philly. He goes to the big market, and he implodes. starts talking about the universe. Yeah, and how he's afraid of bears. Maybe Boston's not a good destination for him then. Absolutely not. Can you imagine? He's terrified every day in practice. <laughs> well, there you go. I you, see you, bears. You've convinced me. You've convinced me. Okay, so Chekmanic is the pick at number seven, a guy who I had to take just for the simple fact of we had to recount his ludicrous story. <laughs> and now at number eight for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are you taking, Pete? Yeah, it was worth taking Chekmanic just so you could do the, the JR quotes from his book. Uh, okay, so Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, let's see. Who did they pick? They took Nikita Alexia. We're, we're, in, we're in the middle of a stretch of horrible picks. They ain't doing that. I'll tell you that. They're not picking a Russian either. Uh, they're going to go with uh, Mr. Flo himself, Scott Hartnell. Here's a nice guy who had a, a really good long career. Great net presence. Good, uh, you know, greasy goal scorer. Good defensive. Physical player. Can throw some hits. Um, Hartnell down, yeah. They're going to go with Scott Hartnell. Yeah, and seemingly universally loved as a teammate. Like, we're coming off the Czechmanic pick, who apparently no one in Philly liked. A beloved guy in Philly was Hartnell, and he originally goes to Nashville, which is a very good selection. But it's he really, like a true power forward, takes a few years to really get going, and then once he's in Philly – playing on some of those strong teams. He throws up a couple of 30-goal seasons and really breaks out for them. And that trade, just to run it down, Scott Hartnell and Kimo Tiemann for the 23rd overall pick and I think 07, which is Jonathan Blum. Not a great trade for Ooh. Nashville. Give them a redo. Yeah. Yeah, no, when you get a guy that can score you – you know, 30 goals and 60 points in a season and, and put over 100 or 150 PIMs on the board too. Um, 
there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, this this pod isn't tremendously valuing pins, but we we respect Hartnell's ability to to play a physical game, and he does it even pre lockout, which it was more valued back then. All right, so where does that take us here? I think uh, next up would be hometown Calgary Flames. Yeah, the Flames are picking at number nine, and they try for a solution in net. And I'm going to give them one, even though it might take a while, and Kipper will be the guy by the time he actually breaks in. But he could be a nice backup, maybe relieve Kipper from having to play 70-plus games for all of his prime. And I'm going to take Ilya Brzgalov, the universe himself. All over the goalies on this this draft, Steve. Yeah, I've I've taken them all. There's just there's really not a whole lot. So as soon as you can get a guy who has any kind of run in net, you're getting a ton of value. Right on. All right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I made my point. I would have taken the goalies in reverse order. Um, but you do what you got to do. Right. And you- and. I like your point, though, that Boston needs a guy that can step in now, and Chechmanic was more that guy than Brzgalov was. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, and sticking with what Calgary was looking for, uh, the goaltending, and you just want to make it a better pick. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's going to take him a while to eventually become a solution for them. But he certainly could have been a nice option for them. And they really don't have much luck replacing Kiprasov. So if he is a guy who can take over once Kiprasov is cooked, then maybe there's a nice transition there. Certainly, Brizgalov is ready to take over, but Jaguar isn't giving up the crease in Anaheim. So he ends up getting lost in the shuffle and he's a waiver claim by the Coyotes. That's how he lands there for the best years of his career. And he's got to be one of the best waiver claims a team's ever made. Uh, I think Chicago picked Steve Sullivan away from uh, Toronto. That worked out pretty good, but yeah, no, Breeze Golov's pretty solid too. It's funny how a change of scenery can make such a difference on a player's team, right? Like you look at Devin Dubnik and he was floundering on a couple of teams and then he finds himself in Minnesota and it's like he sold his soul to the devil. He went from the scrap pile to for a while he was like one of the best goalies in the nhl absolutely yeah a very unstoppable a, a very whirlwind run where he bounced four different teams in the span of basically one calendar year and then landed himself heart trophy votes yeah i wonder if what, what some of the reasons are for how specifically goalies can go from from bouncing around to a couple of situations where it's not working out for them. And then all of a sudden lightning in a bottle for a season or or two or three or, or a long run is I wonder how much goaltending coaching has to do with that. Yeah. Coaching and situation. Like certainly I think, I think Sean Burke is with the coyotes by the time Brisgalov lands there. And then after Brisgalov, they move on to Mike Smith who had bounced around from Dallas to Tampa Bay and, really had some struggles as well. And he has his best seasons there. And it's actually Dubnik. He lands on the Coyotes as well with Sean Burke, where he rediscovers his confidence and then gets 
shuffled to the wild at uh, the deadline, in, I believe, 2015. Yeah, so goaltending coaching can certainly be a, a common denominator in a lot of these situations. I think that had a lot to do with it too with, with Dubnik and whoever the, the goaltending coach in Minnesota was. I'm having a hard time remembering his name right now, but I remember someone giving him a lot of credit for that turnaround. Anyways, that's a little bit of a, a sidetrack there. Where were we? Uh, I just took Brzgalov, who benefited from some goaltending coaching while he was with the Coyotes, and that was for the <laughs> Calgary Flames. We're up at number 10 for the Chicago Blackhawks. We each get a pick for the Blackhawks. Because they got well, back to back ten and eleven. So who are you taking, Pete? Well, that's such fun. Well, Chicago kind of didn't do so good with their picks at the draft. Here, picking a pair of Russians. Um, there is a Russian who's on my radar for right around here. Um, Don't do it. I, I could, but I won't. I'm going to go with uh, Antoine Vermette. Um, saw him play quite a bit with the Senators, and I've always been a fan of his. The kid was a, just a flat-out burner and came into the league as more of a, an offensive player and played that way for a little bit. Um, but as he got a little bit older, he evolved his game, which had a lot to do with the longevity of his career. Um, he had a nice run. He broke a 1,000 games as well, um, 500 points. Um, so, you know, he's a kind of a player that plays both ways. Put him out if you need a goal, defending a goal. He's good on the draw, um, and he was pretty great at killing penalties as well. So he was a, a versatile and valuable player throughout his career. Um, so I'm going to give uh, Chicago Antoine Vermette. I think for what he is, he probably garners a little bit more attention because he's on those early Ottawa teams that are always in contention and they end up in a, going to a cup final. And then he's basically the number one center with Rick Nash for his highest scoring season with Columbus, where he has a random 60 point season. And then off to the Coyotes where they make a conference finals run while he's there. And then he ultimately wins a cup with the Blackhawks as a rental in 2015. So, you know, he lands on our radar quite a bit and has, has a very good career. He stuck around for a long time for, I mean, you, you don't do that if you're not a talented player. So certainly a strong candidate. At number 12, I'm going to take someone who has maybe the complete opposite of that type of career. And I'm either going for your Russian in Alexander Frolov or Brad Boys, because they both have a few monster seasons. And I'm going to take Frolov. Fair enough. What tipped him for you? I just, I really like him. I think that, like Boys, he never really lands on any teams that are doing much of anything but I don't know I, I I believe in both these guys but I don't have as much love for boys I guess I just we only got eight seasons of Alexander Frolov and I wonder if he could have given us more I'm looking at his elite prospects <clears throat> profile page right now and the photo of him is from his I think it's his final career playing in the uh 
in the Asia League, and he's got he's literally got a gray beard, and he looks about a hundred years old. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, he he's played for uh, for a long time. He's played pro hockey. I mean, he was active in eighteen nineteen season, so he played out a long time. But he had such a small sample size in the NHL. But I mean, he never scored less than like nineteen twenty goals a season the whole time yeah. he was gel um, and he had a couple of 30 goal seasons 60 right? point year 70 point year like he was a big smooth good shooter and didn't play on some very good kings teams i wonder why his career in the nhl was short i guess he just didn't really care for north america well he, played, plays... he was producing he was good enough for a contract yeah so he he plays out his run with the Kings and hits free agency before his final season. He signs a one-year deal with the Rangers and he only plays half the season. I'm not sure if it was injury or what cut the season short, but it's not a very successful season. He's like 19 points in 43 games or something like that. And then it's off to the KHL after his time with the Rangers for one year. Hmm. Well, anyone think- that'll in fantasy pools would have been disappointed with the, the lack of longevity in his career. He's a yeah. producing player. Yeah, for sure. Like I think his eight seasons, or if you just want to take his first seven seasons, those go up against the best seven seasons from anyone outside that our top four really. Cool. Good pick. At number 13. The Montreal Canadiens. Or no, sorry, at number 12, the Anaheim Ducks. Right. Um, mighty. Mighty the they mi- are. Thank you, thank you. The Mighty Ducks. Um, okay, so I'm not really a big fan of his either. Um, I thought he had a lot of holes in his game, but I'll throw him up on the board because why not? It's fun to talk about. Let's pick uh, Brad Boys here. So he had um, he had a pretty good junior career with Erie, and it took him a while to really figure out how to like. He had a great AHL career. He was a he transitioned to producing at the AHL level right out of the gate, but it took him a couple of seasons um, to really get going. And then I guess he got a trade from uh, from Toronto. Boston to St. Louis. Uh, he was a Toronto really draft pick. Yeah. So okay. he was picked 24th overall by the Leafs and I'm just trying to see where the trade was. Yeah. He was involved with a uh, trade with Alan McCauley that brought the Leafs Owen Nolan. Oh. Um, so, but he only played a handful of games in the AHL with them and one game in the NHL. And then it was off to, to the Bruins organization a um, little bit of AHL time with them as well. And then bam, 70 points in 82 games in the 0506 season. Um, he had a couple 30, he had a 40 goal season in St. Louis. Um, 72 points. Yeah, man. 72 points uh, the following season. Um, and then it kind of slowly starts to taper off from there. Um, but yeah, he, um, He's a bit of an enigma. 
So I wonder if is if it all is just situational or if it was an attitude thing with him. I really I really don't have any insight there, but I figure Anaheim is willing to roll the dice and, and hope that they get the uh the good Brad Boys version. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a what they call a quad a type player but he ends up breaking through and landing on teams that are bad enough to use him in the only role that he's really suited for which is pure offense and he maximizes those roles in in a couple of different spots having really three outlandish seasons and then otherwise he's kind of you know he's a scorer that plays on your third line but you don't really want to use him in that role because he's not as defensively sound as as some of the guys you normally want to be playing in that lineup now I don't know if he would have been better suited to today's NHL where there's a little bit more understanding of how to use that type of player but certainly they, they figured out a way to maximize him for a few seasons and he sticks around long enough to fit 500 points which is crazy to think about because he doesn't really do much outside of those three 60 point seasons. Yeah. Uh, well, Hey, 822 games. That's, it's not a thousand, but that puts him out of this draft. Uh, it puts him in the first round still out of the most games played uh, about, about 15th. So if you look at what other quality of the competition are that I have to, to choose from for this pick, um, he's one of the higher scoring and, and longest career players. So, hey, why not? Like I said, it was between him and Frolov for my previous pick. So I don't think there was any way boys was not getting redrafted. There's clearly a lot of talent there. Just maybe not the, the most enticing rest of your package. So that brings me up at number 13 for the Canadians. And I'm basically stuck picking defensemen who played for Pittsburgh. You got Brooks Orpik, Ron Hainsey, Paul Martin, Derek England is even in this draft. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to take Ron Hainsey. So he somehow was the number one defenseman on that, uh, on that third cup winning penguins team in 2017 after they had all those injuries well he's had a nice long career he's one of like we said earlier he's one of the few only active players left in the draft did that have a factor in with your decision to pick him his longevity yeah i mean he's still playing today and i i guess it helps that this is the pick they actually made yeah yeah okay so they got it right is what you're saying that they must have. No good players went after Hainsey. Well, hey, well, no, Lundquist went after Hainsey. <laughs> yeah, so they could have done a little better, I suppose. So number 14, the Colorado Avalanche. Right. So all those guys are on my pick list as well. Um, six to one, half a dozen to the other, I suppose. Um, Do you want to flip a coin? Uh, no, no. I think I'm going to go with a guy that actually, uh, that, that played a bunch with, with Colorado Avalanche and I'll go, uh, Jean-Michael Lyles. Um, okay. He, he has a few years 
actually with the Avalanche uh, as a power play specialist. He's yeah, he ha- he has a few really good seasons for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually they they pick him in in the fifth round of this draft, so he is an Avalanche pick. Um, I suppose this is a bad pick because I could have picked someone else and got this guy, you know, four rounds later, first round value four rounds later. But um, yeah, he had a really great career. He's a good offensive defenseman and American read the play really well, was able to quarter pack power play um, a little bit ahead of his time in the era as a, a transitional defenseman you know he was only 5'10 185 so they were still going big strong defensemen back in in 2000 it wasn't until the the lockout and all the rules changes that I think really helped him helped him out a little bit so he percolated in in um the NCAA for a while and then uh and then made it to the to the NHL his uh Second season was the year after the lockout. Um, so, yeah, uh, he might have helped pioneer that transitional defenseman role. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is used as more of a, a third-pairing guy. So they're certainly – they're not exposing him the way that today's uh, power play quarterback defensemen are because I, I don't think they necessarily were, were ready to make that kind of a shift, but the fact that he was able to be used when a lot of teams would have just taken Brooks Orpic and had him blast bombs from the point. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that um, he was a, a specialist player for a good chunk of his career. Absolutely. That rounds out our picks. I'm not uh, making a pick one. at number 15. I'm oh, not no? doing it. The Sabres, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get a single game out of their pick, and they're not getting a single game out of me picking here because this draft just <laughs> – it's, it's just petered out too much. Um, Pete, can I interest you in discussing some of the best hockey names from this draft? Oh, I'm not prepared for this, but yes. Yes. Okay. So we have two Kopeskis in this draft, unrelated. Thomas Kopeski, who you would know is a Detroit draft pick, but he's a Slovak. And Milan Kopeski is a Czech, and he's a Philly draft pick. He never plays, but, but Tomas does. So okay. those, are, those are some fun names just to say Kopeski. <laughs> There isn't an S in that name. Uh, a few more for you. Cliff Loya, John Eichelberger. Okay. Samu Isosalo. Dimitri Upper. <laughs> upper what? I don't know. Dimitri Upper Body Injury. Maybe. Levente Zuper. Oh, Zuper. <laughs> Zuper duper. Rito von Arks. It should be Count Rito von Arks. <laughs> it may well be. There's a Derek Bufflin. 
I think he's a cousin to Dustin. All right. Uh, Chris Kalanos, who goes in the first round, and I'm really hoping he didn't also get an alliterative middle name. Okay. And that's probably the best selection of, of hockey names. Right. Well, Paul Martin shared a name with the Canadian Prime Minister while he was an active NHL player. Right. That's kind of fun. It, it did lead to a nickname for him. Um, is there anyone from this draft class that even though you know how things worked out for them, you still irrationally believe in them? <laughs> Well, there's not too many players that are that are still active anymore. Um, I always liked Steve Ott, and he ended up carving himself out a nice career. Um, but I like the uh, he, he played with a tremendous amount of Charlie Hustle, and I like those kind of players that are tenacious forecheckers. And he played it greasy and hard, but he wasn't a douchebag like Rafi Torres. So he's one of my. Ask. I was going to ask if you weren't dipping a little bit too far into the grease trap with that one, but all right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Well, Hey, you, you can't play that role without being a little bit, a little bit greasy. Right. But um, I thought he did, uh, he did most of his stuff above board. Fair enough. For me, the answer was for love. I think I said it all with his pick a big boy with a big shot and he was pretty slick. Just didn't stick around for long enough to, really be remembered yeah in retrospect which team do you think won this draft uh the rangers with getting yeah. van beesbrook i mean we we talked about it right off the top he's the only hall of fame player picked out of this draft and they got him at the end of the draft um so that's that's a one-shot slam dunk for me yeah like we said lundquist is the only Hall of Famer from this draft class. And I think they also get Dominic Moore in like the third round. So uh, I also had candidates, Philadelphia, they get Justin Williams and Roman Chikmanic and Minnesota oh. gets Marion Gabrick and Nick Schultz, but not a whole lot of candidates. And when there's only one Hall of Famer, you, you go with the Hall of Famer. So well done, New York Rangers. Yep. Pete. Steve. I think that's it. Thank Sweet. you for redrafting this with me. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Um, I've been banging out a whole bunch of episodes for the Dauber Prospects radio podcast. Um, I've got a little bit of time on my hands now. So I had uh, about five episodes in a row, starting with uh, guest Craig Button. He and I talked about the, the upcoming draft. And then I've had a couple guys from Dauber Prospects come on and talk to me about all the CHL leagues. Braden Olofsson covered the Q. Uh, Joel covered, Joel Henderson covered the dub. And then I had uh, Brock Godden from OHL Prospects and McKean's come on and, and we talked some OHL. And I had um, uh, an episode on the NCAA that had... Um, all the players that are that have signed and are turning pro that you might want to be looking at in your fantasy leagues. It was a pretty stellar episode. He gave me a couple of really good hidden gems. And Steve, because we're in a league together, you're not allowed to listen to that podcast. And Yoki, never, <laughs> Yoki came on and did the same thing with players coming over from Europe. 
so you can't listen to that one either. Um, so yeah, if you're in fantasy leagues that have prospect drafts, those are some good episodes to listen to. Uh, the Dauber Prospects Report uh, is coming up pretty soon. Uh, it's usually a summer release, so um, all the writers have their assignments for that. So that's something that you can be uh, looking forward to order online off uh, Dauber Hockey and Dauber Prospects. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And you guys will be ready if we end up with a June draft. Well, yeah, he just uh, sent out an email to all the people contributing saying that we've got to be prepared for that. So, you know, the original due dates that he put out are subject to short order change. <laughs> so use this uh, COVID early retirement preview time to do your fantasy hockey writing, I guess. Yeah, like you said, you, you've had lots of time. And just as an additional plug, I, I've already listened to the Craig Button episode of that pod. So when you're done with this one, Go on over to Dog Prospects Radio. Give that one a listen because that one was tremendously insightful. Uh, as good a podcast on hockey as you can listen to this week. So once again, Pete, thanks for coming on the pod again. Uh, I really hope we get to do this again and stay safe. You too, brother. All right, everyone. That's the show. Uh, thanks once again for tuning in really appreciate everyone who's been listening and uh, all the feedback that i've been getting please like share and review wherever you get your podcasts and a stick tap to pete for coming on the pod once again always enjoy my conversations with pete he's been doing a great job on these redrafts check out dauber prospects radio for some of his prospects related interviews get ready for what looks like a june draft and tune in for our next episode next week bye now